Page 18, all hail the power. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him, Lord of all. Bring forth the royal diadem. And crown him Lord of all. Ye chosen seed of Israel's race, ye ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saves you by his grace. Crown him Lord of all. Bring forth the royal his grace and crown him. Lord of all, let every kindred, every tribe on this terrestrial ball, to him all majesty ascribe and crown him, Lord of all, to him all majesty ascribe, crown him, Lord With yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, we thank you that we can be assembled together on this day. And Lord, once again, we come before you recognizing that in order to worship you, you must do a work in each heart and each life here. Lord, we just dedicate this time. We ask that you would take it and use it, that you would change us, that you would bring us to a position to where we truly will be able to worship you. We ask you to help us as we sing these hymns that they would glorify your name. And Lord, the preaching, the invitation, the offering, every part of this service would be to your honor and to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn now to page 186 186 and can it be now the ACs are a little loud so we're going to have to do a little extra singing so that we can hear each other page 186 and can it be that I should gain an 
and interest in the Savior's blood. Died he for me, who caused his pain, for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Now let's sing it. His Father's throne above, so free, so infinite His grace, emptied Himself of all but love, and bled for Adam's helpless race, tis mercy all and free for oh my God it found out me amazing love how can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me long my imprisoned spirit lay Bound in sin and nature's night, thy night diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth. Let's do one more song, 377. 377. We serve a living God. Amen. He lives. 377. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that He is living, whatever men may say. 
I see his hand of mercy, I hear his voice of cheer, and just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. In all the world around me I see and though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that he is leading through all the stormy past. The day of his appearing will come at last. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Now at this time, we'll have the children 11 and under dismissed to the junior church. Let's sing verse 3. Rejoice, rejoice, O Christian. Lift up your voice and sing. Eternal hallelujahs to Jesus Christ the King, the hope of all who seek Him, the help of all who find. None other is so loving, so good and kind. He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Amen, and you may be seated. All right, and just before this morning's message, we're going to have a special song by some of the children. Just listen closely as they sing this morning.
Aren't you glad our Father has planned it all? And, uh, one of the great things the Bible does is it saves us from ourselves, amen? Uh, we do not have to be responsible for everything. And uh, if you were here on Mother's Day, I warned the fathers they were getting the second half of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. So we're going to start there this morning. And uh, this is Father's Day, and just like Mother's Day, uh, there is absolutely nothing wrong with honoring the position of Father. Now, unfortunately, uh, Father's Day in many instances would be better called Missing Persons Day. Um, there is no bigger holiday than Mother's Day in New York City. Uh, I mean, maybe Christmas. May, maybe Christmas, but it's close. Uh, Mother's Day is about as big as it gets around here, uh, at least by attendance in church services, I'll tell you that. And uh, all of the uh, Mother's Day is the busiest restaurant day out of the year in New York City. And uh, I'm getting a nod from some of the people working restaurants. It's, it's just absolutely true. Um, Father's Day is supposed to be the busy day in the tool department at Sears, I guess. Uh, I'm not quite sure, or Home Depot, uh, whatever your preference might be. But uh, we're just going to start in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2. And Paul doesn't spend a lot of time here in 1 Timothy delineating the duties of the fathers. And by the way, if you're here today and you're not a father or a prospective father or or maybe you're not a man at all, you're a woman, that we will have some application, all right, in the message today. Uh, it won't be solely to them, but uh, we start in verse 11. It says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. You say, boy, that's a great place to start a Father's Day sermon, isn't it? And uh, bear with me, if you don't get through the introduction, uh, uh, you get mad at me before we finish the introduction. You'll miss the message, all right? So uh, tie, tie your hats on tight. We'll keep moving. Uh, it gets worse in verse 12. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. And... Uh, we, we spent some time there. Let me read you another verse. I just want to stoke the fire here a little bit. First Peter 3, 1 says, Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of the wives. And, and we're going to start with a pretty harsh word this morning, and that word is subjection. Um, when we hear that word today, we automatically think of tyranny, we think of oppression, uh, we think of all kinds of horrible things, but the word subjection is a biblical word. 
And uh, it needs to be exercised in the home. In fact, I challenge you today that if this word is not exercised in the home, that your home cannot be a godly home or a biblical home. You cannot be a scriptural father and lead by consensus. Amen? Wow, got quiet then, didn't it? You cannot be a scriptural father and sit here and have a committee meeting to decide what direction your home is going to go in. Now, we've purposely skipped over two parts of this word subjection, uh, the biblical definition, not the worldly definition. Let me just read you Oxford English Dictionary. It says, the act, state, or fact of exercising lordship, their word, not mine, or control. Now, that's what the word subjection means. May I suggest to you today that if you're a father, that is an incredibly high order to fulfill. Because there's another part of this that we skip, that we miss out, that we leave out. And this is a part that applies to every one of us in here today. Uh, I tell you, don't go to the Christian bookstore and buy Dr. So-and-so, uh, the Miss Reverend So-and-so, whoever happens to be writing books on being a father. If you want to know how to be a father, get the book, Amen. How many of you remember that ad campaign run by, uh, I think it was uh, Human Services here in New York City? It had the picture of this little adolescent girl, and she had this really depressed look on her face. And uh, she was, it was on all the buses and everything. And underneath it says, don't you wish life came with instructions? And then it had some city help number to call. This was before 311. Uh, and... You, you were supposed to call this city agency and they would help you learn how to raise your children. Now, I hope you didn't do that. If you did, don't admit it this morning. Amen. Uh, God did give us an instruction manual for life. Life does come with instructions. And the last time I checked, there's a whole lot of them in here. Amen. Anybody got their Bible completely memorized? Now, if you do... The next question is, are you obeying everything that you learned? And the simple truth of the matter is, no, and uh, no. Uh, that's why God gave us this thing called the Christian life, is because he's given us a little bit of time to work on the things that are taught in this book called the Bible. Amen? Now, if you really want to understand something, you go back to the beginning. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, and, and I want you to to look at something maybe just a little differently uh, i do not believe that i am bending or adding to the scripture at all this morning but in verse 6 of hebrew of uh, genesis chapter 3 we have sin entering the world eve did eat it says and when the woman saw the tree that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree and a tree desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. 
Now, here's the phrase I want you to get here. And gave unto her husband, where was he? Read those next two words with me out loud. With her. Let's try that again. The air conditioning's on. I can't hear a word you said. Try it again. Here we go. With her. One more time. Where was Adam? With her. Now, that is an indictment, my friend. Not of Eve, but of Adam. And I've heard an awful lot of sermons on Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. 16, I'm sorry. It says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception, and sorrow shalt, thou shalt bring forth thy children. Now, here's the part that they like to preach on. And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Oh, man, what a great message for Father's Day. Amen. Be careful, we're going somewhere. May I suggest to you this morning, part of the reason God put this in here was because in verse 6, Adam was negligent of his responsibilities toward Eve. And God said, as part of the judgment upon this world for sin, I'm talking to Eve, but the one that I have in mind here as I make this commandment is Adam, because you sat there and did absolutely... I stood there, actually. He was with her. Uh, you stood there and did absolutely nothing as you watched your wife transgress God's Word. Now... In case we just want to get too tough on Adam here today, let me explain something to you. And, and ladies, this may come as a shock to you, but men are sedentary creatures. What that means is we do not move unless there are outward forces enacted upon us that causes us to move. That's why the couch is the favorite position. Amen? Uh, there, there are just things that, that men love to do, and one of them is be still. You see, has anybody ever been to the zoo? Look at the lions in the cage. The lady lions are up moving around there doing different things. What are the male lions always doing? They're just laying there. In fact, they have found that lions take somewhere between 80 and 90% of their life and do nothing but rest. That fact alone disproves evolution for anybody that wants to do it because how in the world could anything that spent 90% of its time resting be fit enough to survive? It doesn't work that way. You're supposed to be doing something. Now... God looked at Adam here in Genesis chapter 3 and said, Listen, you've got some responsibilities. And if we want to trace the greatest problems that we face as a society and as a culture today, men, you cannot blame the ladies for this thing. It's time to look in the mirror. 
If there's anything that we need today is we need men that are willing to be men. I love the quote of my pastor. I'm going to try and do my best to imitate it just as I saw it at Cleveland Baptist Church many years ago. You've heard it before. But one night he walked into the pulpit and it was just something like this. I'm the man of my house because my wife left me here. There's a great truth in that statement. Men cannot be the men that God wants them to be if there is not a willing and joint effort in this thing. We men are naturally timid. If you stand up and say, I'll take care of it, we'll let you. That's just the way men are. Well, I mean, there's a few ridiculous examples of running around trying to be macho and trying to prove this and trying to prove that. But real men don't have to prove anything. Because if you're a man, you're a man. And by the way, real men do eat quiche. It's very good. It's not in all of these silly little rules and regulations. Real men do cry. Read in the Bible. But real men do not cry for their mommies, all right? There's a difference. And I want us to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And, and we have this thing called subjection. We've looked at it. It's a biblical principle. It's in the Bible. There is an order of authority here. But I, I want us to understand that without a willingness on the part of the wife and the children to be in subjection, that subjection that is there is neither biblical nor real. There's got to be this idea of working together. And that does not mean we sit and, and uh, sit upon the royal throne in the house and, and edict and give all of these commands and everybody should obey at the drop of a hat. That's not what it's talking about. One time my son and I were discussing this issue of authority and leadership and and uh, uh, trying to develop this thing. And, and uh, as fortune would have it, as, as the Lord did, he had some um, poor example of a human being on one of those loud pipe bikes just putt, 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 pull, pull through the intersection. Now, let me tell you something. As we looked around, and I, I called my son's attention to these things, everybody in the whole area's attention was focused upon this, uh, shall we say, lesser than bright bulb, uh, driving this motorcycle through the intersection with his loud pipes roaring, as, as loud as and obnoxious as he could make it. Everybody was staring at this guy. But nobody was following him. That's what leadership can be. 
if you just want to run around and harp on who you are and what you're supposed to be doing and what everybody else... Do we follow that example? Are we there yet? Do I get a few? How about... I don't know what's going on. Anybody there this morning? I'll try to get you all together here. But Paul brings forth these truths in the book of Ephesians. And we're going to start in verse 21 of chapter 5. It says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Now, this is a verse people like to skip over. This is talking to both men and women. Verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in most everything. How many of you caught the little addition there? It, it just says in everything, amen? Now, what I want us to do before we delve into the Scripture here this morning is, is I want us to understand that there is a parallel in this passage. There is a parallel between the family and the church. The relationship of the husband to the wife to the children, the relationship to Jesus Christ and the members of his church. And these two things are brought to us because we can understand more about the one, the relationship in the home, by studying the church. And we can understand more about what ought to go on in the church by studying the home. And the more we learn about these two things, the closer we will be to what Jesus Christ wants us to be, the closer we will be to each other as human beings because we will not have as much disobedience and misunderstanding hindering that relationship that God wants us to have with each other and with himself. And so this morning I want us to look at just a few things and we're going to try to get down through the end of the chapter here before 1 o'clock this afternoon. I think we'll get that done. But we start in verse 22 or 23 here. It gives the position of the husband of the father in the family. Now, there is this thing called position. There is, this, there is something to this thing called authority. If you meet one of those nice young men or women walking up the streets of New York City with a blue uniform and a little patch here that says NYPD on it, that little patch has an awful lot of authority, doesn't it? In fact, you could take a 100-pound police officer and put them on the road in front of an 80,000-pound truck. And that 100-pound police officer will stop the 80,000-pound truck. Say, so how's that happen? It's called authority, isn't it? That guy driver, or woman driving that truck sees that police officer standing there, and they're going to say, I'd better listen to what this person says unless I want to go and live on Rikers Island for a while. Uh, I better do what they tell me to do. And they do it. It's important. 
It's in every place in society today. Uh, somebody told me years ago, 90% of the problems you will face in this life is due to this issue of authority. Boy, that's true, isn't it? How many of you had problems with your boss this week? Don't raise your hands. How many teenagers we have a few in here this morning? How many of you had a run-in with your parents or someone like that this week? If you're in school, did you have some... Uh, and I don't mean you have to get sent to the principal's office and expelled, but uh, there was just a little, a few sparks flew. Uh, as you were supposed to do something or asked to do something and you didn't get it done. There's a position here. It says the husband is the head of the wife. That's the family over here. Even as Christ is the head of the church, the church over here. Now, hopefully I'll keep the church on this side and the family on this side, but you understand if I lose my place and mix up, we're still talking about two separate things. Amen. And so, as we move forward here, it says, Wives, in verse 22, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, that's a scary verse. But it says what it means, and it means what it says you you can go into any language you want and there's that word subjection is there submit and it says that you submit to your husband as unto the lord now men you better have a proper understanding of this thing called submission because it is a choice we wear wedding rings in the united states to symbolize our union as husband and wife. Guess what? It was a choice to put that wedding ring on. It, it wasn't, no one, I mean, in, in fact, if someone stood there with a shotgun or a pistol in their pocket and said, you better put that wedding ring on or you're not going to make it out of the church, uh, that doesn't happen very often, now does it? It's a willful decision. Now we go back to verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If you don't take time to understand what's going on, you have no right to ask for the submission that the Bible demands to your position as a father in verse 23 and 24. The result is leadership if we need something today we need leadership do we not in fact if we could just digress from the main subject this morning what you're seeing in the world in which we live is a vacuum of leadership there is less and less leadership going on our politicians are no longer leaders they're sticking their finger in the air and trying to figure out which way the breeze is blowing so they can walk. And that's not leadership. We live in a world where people tell you what you want to hear. That's not leadership. It's verse 24 says, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, 
so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. You know what that means, husband? That means you've got to know about everything. You've got to understand what's going on. Because if you don't, how is your wife going to be subject to you and everything if you have no idea what's going on? You ever work for a boss that had no idea what was happening, what they were trying to do, how it should be done? There's nothing more frustrating than that, is there? How many of you had to work for a boss that had no idea what was going on? Huh? Did you enjoy that? Now, men, take, take a lesson from that. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ knows what's going on. Amen? In fact, I'm telling you that he submitted himself to an awful lot of things. We're studying the book of Hebrews. He was subjected to every temptation you and I will ever be subjected to. Why? So he could succor them that are tempted, the last verse of chapter 2. Remember what that word succor means? It means the Calvary's coming, amen? It means relief. It means help. It means that, that there is going to be deliverance from the problems and the stresses at hand because somebody bigger and stronger and wiser than you is coming to set you free from the problem you find yourself in. And we understand that Jesus Christ has always been there and always will be there for the church. Amen? Well, if we know that about the church, then men, that's your job in the home. When the wife runs up the white flag saying, I don't know how to handle these kids. I don't know how to handle this pressure. I, you better be there. And if you're not, there's going to be problems. There's going to be big problems. It says, Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their own husbands in everything. That is the position. The result is leadership. And what the world needs today is leadership. What we need in our church is leadership. This church will only go forward as we submit, and willingly so, joyfully so, our desires, our plans, our wishes to those that are outlined in the Scripture by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Can we get an amen on that? It's the same way in the home. But men, you better know where you're going. Verse 24, we're going to start there. It, verse 25, actually, the power. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You want the power to have a home that it ought to be what it ought to be. Right here is the answer. Love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church. Don't leave out that last phrase. And gave himself for it. Now let's take a few moments and look at how Christ loved the church. He left heaven's glory, amen. He was born of a virgin. No earthly father. 
he was subjected to such an ordinary life and such an ordinary appearance that the Pharisees and the religious leaders of his day said, we don't stone you for a good work, but you are a man. And you make yourself God. We were street preaching yesterday and, and uh, a man of the Muslim faith said, oh, we actually give Jesus more glory and, and, and uh, we treat him better than you Christians do. I said, no, you don't. They think because they say the name of Jesus Christ, peace be upon him, that that somehow is better than just saying the name of Jesus. Uh, his name does not need added to by us. Amen. God does not need us to glorify him. He already has it and he had it. He laid that aside so he could come down and, and die in our place. It was Napoleon who was philosophizing about his ruined life and his failed attempts at ruling the world and all of this. They said none, not one of the great world leaders, of which he included himself, of course, um, could compare to Jesus Christ. Because all of the great world leaders had to rule by the use of force. He says, but he, through love, could call an army of hundreds of thousands that would lay down their life in an instant for him. He says, that power, that power is unequaled, period. I have no expectation of seeing Napoleon in heaven, but he was a little smarter than some people give him credit for. Amen? Jesus built his kingdom on love, not on fear. Well, men, we need to build a home based on love and not on fear. Amen? And how Jesus earned that right was he gave himself. Now, God's not asking every man in here who wants to be a father to die on the cross because once you die, you're dead. You can't come back. Only Jesus could come back. Amen? But we live in the most selfish generation that I've ever read of in the history book. We're all trying to get something. We all have these expectations out of life. What kind of expectations did Jesus have? He said, straight is the way and narrow is the gate, which straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And what was the answer? Few there be that find it. Jesus wasn't dying for the many. He was dying for the few. He gave himself for the few. What did Paul say? He said, not many wise. He said, not many that are, are rich in this world. He said, I haven't called all of those people. He said, I've called the poor. Why? Because they're willing to follow me. And Jesus has built his church on those we're willing to lay aside everything and just follow Jesus Christ. That's what salvation is. You can't carry your hopes for the future through the straight gate. It doesn't fit. 
There's just room for you to squeeze through, nothing else. Because everything you have, every desire you have, every plan, every wish, every hope for your future that you have is perverted by your sin nature and the wicked heart that dwells within you. Yes, you can desire good things and you can desire right things, but they're still controlled by that wicked heart that's inside your chest. Actually, it's not the little muscle that goes boom, 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 boom. It's the real you. It's your soul that lives in your body. Look at verse 26. It says that he might sanctify it, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what Jesus Christ is doing for his church. Who benefits from what Jesus Christ has done? Is he the beneficiary of his work on the cross? No, we are. Is he the beneficiary of his great patience toward us and putting up with all of the things that he has to put up with from us humans? Absolutely not. He does this so he can build us up in the faith. Now, I don't want you to raise hands here, but I just want you to stop and think about how many of you here, sitting here, are saved today. Now, if you're saved, I want you to think about the things that God has changed in your life since you got saved. Are you better off? You most certainly are. That's what Jesus does for the church. Father... If you're going to have a family, if you're going to be a father, if you're going to be the right kind of father, you've got to do what you do to build your family and to make the lives of your family better. Now, that does not mean you have to have a college savings account for your kids. I'll tell you, one of the worst things you can do is take a kid, give him a pocket full of money, send them 500 or 1,000 miles away from home and tell them to get an education. Some of the people sitting here in the pews know the disaster that results when you do that to a young child who is not capable of making their own decisions. I'm giving my children the same privilege my parents gave me. That was to work for it. It makes a difference. It really does. And many times in our society today, we'll have older adults in their late 20s, early 30s, waking up and recognizing, hey, I wasted my opportunity then, but I'm not going to waste it now. And they're sitting in the classroom with all these young know-nothing punks that are sitting there just staring at the wall trying to get over the party last night. Now, that doesn't happen at Heartland, praise God, but it happens at a lot of colleges. And they're there to get an education. In fact, there's a difference. I remember when I was in Bible college, we had some older students there. And, and they were very serious about what they were learning. They weren't trying to get away with it. I said, 
I'm going to make them my friends. I'm just going to pretend I'm an older student and I'm going to act like them. It was a benefit. And when you try to put a family together, the goal of what you do, one of the worst things you can do, parent, is try to use your kid's life or lives to build your reputation. Don't you do that. You embarrass me. You'll destroy their life and you'll destroy your life. You try to build them up in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. Guess what that's going to do to your reputation? It's going to lift it up. Your kids aren't like the other kids that are out here. Well, you don't want to know what I do to make my kids like my kids. It's a lot of work. But it's not living for me, it's living for them. And that doesn't mean you give them everything you want. Worst thing you can do is spoil a kid rotten. Talk to any adult that's ever had that happen. They have a really tough time living. It is the building process of lives so that when this child becomes an adult, they don't have to depend on all the rest of society to take care of them. Jesus builds our lives so that in the church, we are not dependent upon all of society and everybody's dumb books that they write today. We're dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his book. And it improves our lives and brings us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Amen? Now, we're going to look at one more. The perpetuity. Number one, you have to have the position right. If you don't have the position right, you have nothing to build on. But the power that makes this thing work is husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. What makes our church work is the fact that Christ loved me. The power that I have to forgive other people for their wrongs against me is the power that Jesus expended upon the cross to forgive me for what I've done against him. But it ought to keep going, amen? It ought not be just for a week or a month or 10 years or 20 years. It ought to be for a lifetime. And it starts in verse 28, So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Now, as I look out here this morning over the people that are here, and, and we use this illustration, but it's, it's exactly what the Bible is talking about here. You took time to dress appropriately. You took time to pick out things that actually match and look good together. You actually combed your hair and, and, and uh, washed your face. And, and uh, uh, men, most of us took time to shave and to clean up a little bit and, and uh, trim your nose hairs and all of those kinds of things that you're supposed to do. Why do we do those things? Well, pastor's going to be watching, and if I don't look good, he's going to talk to me. At the end. No, that doesn't happen around here. 
We don't have dress code inspectors. Aren't you glad? I hope the reason why you did that is because you care about yourself and you care about the reason why you're here to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That's why we do things. How many of you have eaten food this week? Did you go get something rotten out of the garbage can? Or did you sit down and find a nice meal? You know why you found a nice meal? Because you like yourself. In fact, you love yourself. In fact, if you have any questions about not loving yourself, just let someone come up and begin to insult you and do mean things to you, and you will feel very offended at that person because... You like yourself better than that. Isn't that true? Now, it says no man ever yet hated his own flesh. And those people that run around saying, I hate myself, I hate myself, don't do so because they really hate themselves. It's because they just want attention and pity and they want someone else to love them. That's what the problem is. We take care of ourselves. Someone said, if you don't take care of yourself, nobody else will. That's not true. Jesus has already done everything to take care of our sin problem. Amen? If you can get that one taking care of everything else, will take care of itself. It says, for no man yet ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church. As you sit here this morning, I want to take just a few minutes and think about what the Lord Jesus Christ has done that Open Door Bible Baptist Church might exist. I mean, we had churches that uh, I think it was uh, about 35 different churches that pledged to give monthly support so that I could move my family here to New York City. Pastor Paul McCardle let, let us work with him for an entire year just to learn how to live in the city and, and all of these things. And we had the miracle of finding a place to meet and people started coming when we rented from the Yugoslavian Seventh-day Adventist Church for the first four years. And then the Lord did the great miracles in providing this building in which we now sit and, and, and the paid for the building in seven years uh, which in itself is a long story of miracles. You're sitting on padded pews, air-conditioned space. Somebody paid for all of that, amen? And it's the Holy Spirit of God that brought us together and allowed us to function. And we support now 35, 36 missionaries all over the world on a monthly basis. And, and we've been able to give to many projects and, and help other churches getting started. Why? Because our people that are here have a heart for the things that the Lord Jesus Christ has a heart for. He's done all of those things for us. And who benefits? We do. The Lord lets us keep meeting. You know, as human beings, we do not naturally love one another. Human beings do not normally get along with each other. 
Just go to work tomorrow and look around. <laughs> Get in the subway and just watch all the disgruntled faces and somebody steps in the, somebody's toes or somebody bumps into somebody. I mean, people do not normally get along, do they? But God lets us get along. I love our business meetings. Somebody said, uh, Pastor, how much more is it going to take? Well, well, I don't know yet. Okay, let's get it done. Oh, man, I love those kind of business meetings. We keep account. We keep track of things. We register every penny. Any member can look in and know what's going on at any time. But we work together. Why? That's the Holy Spirit of God. That's not us. That's what Jesus does. That's how he nourishes and cherishes we were able to be involved in the May offering. I don't know how many different churches gave to that thing, but we raised over $600,000, $650,000 for Heartland Baptist Bible College. We didn't do that. We only gave a little bit. But we got to work together with all of those churches, and that miracle happened. Why? Because Jesus loves his church. The Bible says that's what ought to happen in the home. There ought to be that constant giving and that constant nourishing. We are members of His body, Jesus's, of His flesh and of His bones. For this cause shall man leave his father and mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. I know people said this about my wife and I. How in the world did he ever get her? It's a mystery, my friend. It doesn't make sense, but it works, amen? The idea that two people will join together and stay together for years and years and years and years and years doesn't make sense. It's a mystery. But it's a wonderful one. And by the way, don't try to solve the mystery. You'll just mess things up. Enjoy it. You do things for her and let her do things for you. That's in the home. That's the way it ought to be. Now, I know where I'm preaching in New York City. It's the city of broken homes and broken families. It's the city where father doesn't show up because he's too busy working. It's the city where everyone has to sell their soul to keep their job. But let's take a moment and let's look what Jesus did for the church because that's what he's trying to teach you and I today. Jesus gave everything for the church. He loved us so much. He keeps us going day by day. I'm glad that Jesus is not uh, there today and gone tomorrow. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. And since the days his feet touched this earth and he walked, 
there has been his church preaching and teaching his word. And that church is not going to end until he comes and takes it home to be, to he be in heaven with him. What a wonderful promise. Jesus doesn't quit. He says, I speak concerning Christ and the church. You can't be a part of Jesus Christ until you willingly submit yourself to Bible salvation. It's being born again God's way. That's where it starts. And then there is the daily surrender of my life and my will to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the struggle. Why we come together in church is to encourage one another in that struggle, to lift up and help and reach out. And we're not going to take time to talk about the things that our church has done to help other people, but we're actively involved in reaching out and helping people in our church to live God's way. Why? Because Jesus gave everything for us. No big deal to give everything for him. These things need to be brought into our family. Again, it's a choice that is made. And I am so glad that I can tell you today that even though we failed, even though we've grown up in homes that are broken and messed up, you can start putting these things that the scripture tells us in force in your family. And God will do what only God can do. Amen. He is the healer of broken hearts. He is the strength where there is weakness. He is the power of the powerless. But he will not help you until you're willing to surrender to him. Because there's this thing called position. He's in charge. It's going to be his way, not your way. The power of his position is his great love. And the perpetuity of that great love is it is there every day for all eternity. We need to live those things in our lives, in our church, and in our family. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And we just ask that you would have your will in your way in each heart that is here today. Lord, that we would be willing to look at ourselves and understand that we can't do it that we would be willing to just surrender our wills to you. We pray, Lord, if there be anyone here that is not saved, that today would be the day of salvation. Today would be the day of that willing subjection of their will to yours. Lord, we want to worship you. And that can only be accomplished through our obedience to your word. 
We ask that you would be with the men that are here today, that we would be willing to be scriptural men. Lord, we pray for each member of our church that we would understand the great love wherewith you have loved us and be willing to submit ourselves to it on a daily basis that we may live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.